Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. There's a link between all the ideas. Three major ideas in chapter 9 will be the death penalty, the rainbow, and Noah's fall and how his sons deal with that. And they all kind of interconnect with the rainbow kind of circling over the whole thing. So, But before we go there, I, I would be remiss if we don't bring up the uh, events that took place in Paris and uh, the terrible tragedy that has occurred once again. I have come up to the pulpit on more occasions than I'd like to count in the wake of disasters and school shootings and the like. I think the recent count, uh, and it seems to be an ISIS-initiated uh, attack, terrorist attack in Paris, is 129 dead, over 300 wounded, and in hospitals, some of them fighting for their lives right now. Uh, it is very difficult to make sense of tragedies like this and what motivates people to do what they do and why they feel like going and just killing people is what they should be doing. But it's happened again, and here we are. And when we are in situations like this, it's hard to even know what to do. It's hard to know, Lord, am I supposed to give money to something, or what do I do? And sometimes we can even underestimate the power of our prayers, But there's a few things that I just want to pray for this morning. One, I want to pray that the church will be a strong light in Paris. There are Christians there, there are churches there, and that the church will be able to shine the gospel even in the wake of something so horrible and so terrible. That they will be strong, that they will be a light, that they will bring the compassion and the healing balm of the gospel. That's number one. So, I also want to pray for healing for these families. I want to pray that if you join me in prayer, that the Lord would take what was intended for evil and exploit it for his good purposes. Would you bow with me, Father? We do lift up the church in Paris that she will be a shining light in the midst of a dark time where men came in dressed in black and in the name of their God uh, did this terrible deed And I pray that you would put a stop to what ISIS has been doing. I pray you would give wisdom to the leaders of France and our own country and other countries to know what to do and how to do it and how to deal with this threat. It's a real threat. Real blood is being shed. Christian blood all over the world is being shed. And we ask that you would put a hedge about your people. We ask that when things do happen, that you allow for whatever your reasons are, that you'll turn it to good for your divine purposes. And you'll even save those whose hearts and eyes are darkened to the truth. And then, Lord, we want to lift our hearts in prayer to the families, those who have to pick up the pieces and try to make sense of a tragedy like this and why their loved one was lost or hanging on to life. And we're just going to pray that your healing and your grace would permeate every life, every situation, and that every person who doesn't know you would turn to you, Lord, and find hope and life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we move into Genesis 9, we will look at some things that are related to these subjects, and we will look at some tough truth 
but we pray that your truth would guide our lives and that you would be glorified. You prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. And we believe that, Lord. We believe our response to your truth matters. And so have your way among us. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us and a heart to follow your path. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah. The message is starting over, starting over. Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now as Genesis 9 sets up, Noah is getting off the ark. The world has been washed by the wrath of God, the flood, a universal flood that took out everybody save those who were on the ark, and God was true to his word, and Noah prepared the ark in faith, and now as he's getting off, the first thing that he does, we saw in chapter 8, verse 20, is that Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal, every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma, and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. Verses 1 through 17 pick up that theme of 8, 20 through 22, and give us the detail of how God confirms that promise that he's not going to bring a worldwide flood again. He's never going to do that again. In the middle of the chapter, we will look at the symbol of that promise, which is the rainbow. God says the bow in the sky will be the guarantee that I will not do this again. But I want you to notice at the end of chapter 8 that even though the the flood has washed clean the earth and many of the, uh, all the people except for 8, still the, the problem is not that man has been washed away or judged. The problem is the heart. The intent of man's heart, look at the middle of 21 in chapter 8, is evil from his youth. That's the problem. So that even in the post-flood world, things became evil again. And even at the end of this chapter, we're going to watch Noah fall. Noah's going to make a huge mistake the man who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, the man who was more righteous than any other person on the planet, he's going to make a big blunder in his own life. And it tells us that even though things can be washed away on the outside, the issue is the inside. And we've touched on this many times, but of all the discussions that will take place in the world in the wake of any tragedy, any difficulty, any inexplicable tragedy. We always have to go back to the heart. That's what the Bible says the problem is. The problem is the heart. And God has dealt with that problem. He promises that if you come into a new covenant relationship with him, he'll give you a new heart. He'll make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things will be passed away. Behold, all things will become new. And so that is the picture of salvation. And God blessed Noah, verse 1, chapter 9, and his sons. And Noah becomes, and his sons become almost like a second Adam, where Adam came upon the newly formed world, and God blessed him, blessed Adam and Eve, and said, be fruitful and multiply. Well, now in chapter 9, in the new world, in the sunlight of the new world, with all this newness before him, everything cleansed away, now Noah and his family become like a second Adam and Eve. 
And God mirrors what he said in chapter 1 uh, to Noah, uh, to Adam and Eve. He says now to Noah and his sons, this is reminiscent. This will have a familiar ring. He says, be, free, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We've gone from eight people thousands of years ago. Some people say the flood was something like 4,000 plus years ago. Some people say no less than 10. But whatever the chronology is, we've gone from eight people to now almost, what, 8 billion people on the planet. So indeed, there is a fruitfulness. The world has multiplied. There are people everywhere. And Noah, after he came through the flood, the first thing he did was worshiped. He built an altar, and there was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And that reminds us that when we go through our trials, it's always good to worship. God will see us through. And Jesus Christ, his sacrifice, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, is a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Your life can be the same. Your life can be a sweet savor to heaven if you do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. Number 624 says, the Lord bless you and keep you. God bless them. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. When you're blessed by God, the Hebrew word means his hand is covering you. The hand of the Lord covering you, giving you light, giving you strength. Blessing in the biblical framework is not just about material things. You know, people have stolen that word these days, and everybody's talking about being blessed. And when somebody says, I'm blessed, most times that means I've gotten ahead, or I'm doing good, or things are going well. But that's not what the Bible means. That's not exclusively what it means. To be blessed is to be in a relationship with God. It's to be covered by his almighty power. It's to say underneath us are the everlasting arms. That's what it means to be blessed. It's to know God. There's no blessing truly outside of God. And the Lord blessed them. He wanted to bless this new venture that they would uh, go into. And he says in verse 2, chapter 9, the fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth. This is different now because the animals in the original creation, man had dominion, Adam named the animals, but now there's going to be a fear in the animal kingdom. The fear of you and the terror of you shall be on every beast of the earth, verse 2, and every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are given. Here's dominion. The second Adam, if you will, has dominion. Every moving thing that is alive, this is different, shall be food for you. That's probably why the animals are afraid of us, by the way. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. The evidence seems to be that men and women were vegetarians before the flood. But after the flood, now animals become meat. Man has the ability now to eat the animals. We don't know for sure why the change at this point. It could be that there's a scarcity in the food supply, but we don't know for sure. But we do know something has changed now. Cattle are not mentioned in verse 2, or some would argue domesticated animals are not afraid of us per se. My dog likes to be right next to me. Anybody got that same kind of animal at home? However, for the most part, the animal kingdom is afraid of man. You ask the question, why? Why would a bear run from us, especially if we don't have a weapon? Well, there's a terror that's been put into the heart of the animal kingdom by God to be fearful of men. And so God says, they're going to fear you. There's going to be a terror in their hearts. And everything that's on 
Uh, Everything alive shall be food for you. Every moving thing I give all to you. As I gave the green plant, now you will have this for your diet. It's it's amazing uh, when children realize that hamburgers are actually animals. Have any of you gone through this with your children or grandchildren? You try to explain to them, yeah, that's, that's a cow, sweetheart. What? <laughs> they can't imagine that that's what's been happening. Yes, you've, you've eaten several of them uh, over the last couple of years. We were in some meetings years ago, and we were talking about our favorite Bible verses among a group of leaders and pastors, and some of them were saying John 3.16, and some were saying Romans 1.16, and we had this youth pastor, and you could tell he liked to eat by his size, and we asked him, what's your favorite Bible verse? And he says, oh, it's in John 21 when Jesus said, come, let us have breakfast. That's my favorite Bible verse. And I believe, and he went on, and I believe that the greatest creation of Almighty God is the cow. Okay, anyway. Only, there's a prohibition, look at verse 4, you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, its blood. You cannot eat an animal the way another animal might eat an animal. If you ever watch those shows where the animals get each other, not pretty. It's not to be that way. You folks who order your steak rare, stop it. <laughs> Just kidding. I don't think that you're breaking God's law, but, but I don't like to look at it personally. But anyway, you shall not eat Flesh with the life that is its blood. The word blood is dom, D-A-W-M in English. It literally means the door of water. And some Hebrew words have the same meaning as they sound. So if you say dom, dom, has the idea of blood flowing through your veins. That's the Hebrew word for blood. Blood takes on great significance in the Bible because it has to do with atonement. And life, in fact, life is in the blood. The idea that the blood must be drained is the beginnings of the Levitical system of the diet for the Jew. They have kosher laws. And in kosher laws, the blood must be drained or extracted from the body. And so um, this does happen in you know, pretty much all meats. But here's the idea. There was a belief that blood constituted life essence in the ancient world. In fact, some military conquerors would kill their victims and drink their blood. In the ancient world, the cults, the pagan cults took on this practice, and they felt like if they ingested blood of a victim, they were taking on additional uh, life force for them. This still, by the way, appears in some weird cults and the occult where people do participate in drinking blood. And they think somehow that that's going to enhance their life. Now, we do know that if someone's sick, sometimes there's a blood transfusion. I will say this to our Jehovah's Witnesses friends who have withheld blood transfusions on the basis of biblical texts misinterpreted That's not what God is saying. A life-giving transfusion is not the same as drinking blood in some ritual thing where you think it's going to give you more power. That's not the same thing. So to withhold a blood transfusion from someone who needs it desperately 
is a confusion of the Bible. That's not what the Bible teaches. We should do everything we can to help someone uh, stay alive or heal. But Leviticus 17, 13 and Deuteronomy 12, 24, you might want to write this down for your notes. Leviticus 17, 13 and Deuteronomy 12, 24 form the basis of the Jewish dietary laws. Ritually speaking, says one author, the draining of the blood before eating the meat was a way of returning the life force of the animal to God who gave it life. Life is in the blood. And disregard for life is an affront to the life giver. The divine prohibition against eating blood also prepared humanity to appreciate the use of blood in sacrifice. Because belonging to God, it can be seen as his atoning gift to sinners, not theirs to him. And it prepares us for the Messiah, whose blood cleanses us from what? All sin. Without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9 says, there is no forgiveness of sins. And some people look at the Bible and they wonder, what's the stuff about blood and what's the sacrificial system? It seems like almost, to be blunt, a bloody mess. You look at the holidays and the Passover and there's blood, blood everywhere. What's going on? Because God says that life is so serious and so sacred that blood must be shed to atone for sins. Hebrews 10 says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, but Jesus Christ came and shed his holy blood and sprinkled us from a defiled conscience and washed us clean by his blood, so that by his one sacrifice for all time, your sins are not only covered, they're washed away in Christ. It's his life for yours. That's what the atonement means. Jesus Christ died so you might live. He shed his blood. His life was given for you. And he says at the Passover meal, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Um, We think about the Bible and we think about the story of Cain and Abel. The first mention of the spilling of blood is there. And God says to Cain, I hear the voice of your brother's blood crying to me from the ground. God takes it seriously when blood is shed. And it was hard to look at, but if you saw some of those pictures in Paris and you saw blood on the ground of victims... There will be an accounting for blood that is shed. In fact, the book of Ezekiel says a land that sheds innocent blood is polluted by that blood. I know it's hard to take, folks, but this is what the Bible teaches. There must be a cleansing. That's part of the reason the flood came is because the world was filled with violence. People were killing each other indiscriminately, thinking that life had no value. And you know a culture is in trouble when it loses the sacredness of life. We believe that life, the sanctity of life, that has the the idea of sacredness, starts from conception to natural death. That's in our mission statement. That is what we believe because that's what the Bible teaches. And so, life is in the blood. Leviticus 17, 10 and 11, write it down for your notes, says, any man from the house of Israel or from the aliens who sojourn among them, Leviticus 17, 10 and 11. Who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. 
For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. And so Jesus Christ poured out his life so that you might have life. He let his life drain away, if you will, that we might experience new life in Christ. Verse 5, Genesis 9 says, Surely I will require, this is a judicial term, I will demand an accounting NIV, your lifeblood from every, every beast, I will require it from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life, require the life of man. An accounting for the life of his fellow man. Here's the bottom line. God says, if an animal kills a man or a man kills a man, their blood will be shed. Now, I want to make a distinction here because this is where the Bible is going. The Bible makes a distinction between killing and murder. Killing happens in wars, and sometimes God ordained the killing of certain people groups. Killing happens in capital punishment, and the next verse is going to tell us that capital punishment is a divine sanction by God, which I don't believe has ended. But that word has the idea of an intentional, premeditated murder, not of someone who did something on accident. In fact, in the Old Testament, if you accidentally killed somebody, there were cities of refuge that were set up. And you could go to that city of refuge and find refuge in that city and the manslayer or the avenger of blood who was usually a relative in that family of the person that you killed could not kill you in that city of refuge. And what's interesting is you could leave that city, if you left that city of refuge and you got killed, it was on you, but you could leave that city of refuge at the death of the high priest. Whoever the high priest was at the time, the moment he died, you were able to leave that city of refuge and the man, the avenger of blood, could not kill you. You were free at the death of the high priest. And all through the book of Hebrews, this is what the Bible teaches. That when the high priest Jesus died, we have fled for refuge to him. God is no longer counting our sins against us because they are atoned for in the blood of Jesus as long as you have ran, run to him for refuge, then you're not going to be exposed to God's judgment. That's the beauty of the gospel. And I'll tell you this, as we go through this text, there's some tough things here, but I'll tell you, this man speaking to you right now, I have made a ton of mistakes. I have sinned against God. And if it weren't for the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, I'd be in deep trouble but I fled for refuge to him. I fled to find covering and cleansing in his blood. But God says this is the principle. Exodus 21, 28 says, that, And if an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall go unpunished. But if the ox was in the habit of goring people, and the owner doesn't tie up his ox, and the ox gores several people, and this is a pattern, the ox dies, and the owner of the ox is killed as well. How do you like that? So tie up your dog, that's all I'm saying. Anyway. It says, whoever, Genesis 9-6, sheds man's blood, by man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed Here's the argument. Here's the argument for capital punishment. 
It's a hard truth, but look at it. The reason that man will have his blood shed for murdering someone is because mankind is made in the image of God. In the image of God, he made man. Capital punishment is not diminishing life, it is elevating life. The reason that capital punishment exists is because God values the life of man above animals and everything else. The one creature made in God's image is us, mankind. So God says if someone murders a person, capital punishment is what should occur. Genesis chapter 9, we have a new beginning. It's after the flood. And people talk about the flood, but a lot of people really forget the leading up to the flood and the cause of it. And in Genesis chapter 6, um, verse 5, uh, it says that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was evil continuously. And then Oscar, and let me piggyback on that, that what was happening in verse 11 is that those thoughts were turned into actions. We see in verse 11 of chapter 6, the earth was corrupt in the sight of God and the earth was filled with violence. So you can see that, you know, we, we see this um, sin always start, starts in the harder mind. And, and when men begin to kind of turn everything or shape everything into evil thoughts, uh, it turned into evil actions. God even warned Cain back in Genesis 4, sin's crouching at the door, you've got to master it. And he didn't, and so he killed his brother. And here is that continuation. And that continuation started from man going away from God, going what the relationship that God had desired to have. And so, as you had said, that this violence was increasing, and it was an atrocity towards mankind, and it just kept going and going and going, hence the flood. And, you know, we've been saying in the recent broadcast, Oscar, that Uh, Jesus said, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And we asked the question, and I know a lot of Bible teachers and Bible students have asked it, and it's this. Well, what were the days of Noah like? They were eating, drinking, giving in marriage. But there's some suggestion that marriage, and and we can see this early in the chapters of Genesis with polygamy and, uh, and all that was going on there with Lamech and so forth, is that uh, people seemed to be devaluing and redefining marriage, but they were also devaluing life. And so, um, you know, as we get into chapter 9, we're going to talk about, you know, what God says to, to Noah very early on, a very famous, well-known verse. But it, it is, uh, you know, as we sit here on these mic- at these microphones, Oscar, we've seen now there's some guy that killed somebody on Facebook Live. We've heard about um, suicides on Facebook Live. We have a shooting that just happened down the road in San Bernardino in the elementary classroom where an angry husband, I think it was, went in and um, killed his wife, who was the teacher of the class, and I think he was either one or two other children perished in that. Um, you know, not to mention, you know, what else which comes to your mind, thinking of just violence. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.